Hey friends, welcome to Life Together Unscripted. This podcast is for those of us who are just a bit tired of everything that looks so polished and schmick in the world. Production that's squeaky clean that you know has been practiced a million times. So we are hopeful that you enjoy the unedited and unscripted nature of this show. We can promise you that this episode you're listening to today uh, was unplanned on the front end and unedited and untouched on the back end. So we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Life Together Unscripted. Hey, hey, how are you, Sarah? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I am just making sure that I have things on do not disturb because... Yeah, the little bings and tings and notifications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always fun. I'm not super flustered. That happens, I think, inevitably, but thank you for your desire to do that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Hey, um, for all intents and purposes, we are total strangers. I actually... Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, I feel tempted. Like the joy of this show is that um, I don't dig into what it is. Like I know journalistically, I used to do that. I still do that to this day. And I know how to do that. Uh, but the joy and the reason why I refrain from looking at your Facebook or Googling you sure. or anything like that is finding out who you are um, as a person. And we get to journey together in the next hour to do that. So um, sounds good. Yeah, sweet. So, hey, um, off the top uh, as well, just like a bit of a disclaimer, it's totally a discussion. So in light of that, um, feel free to flip the interview on me. And because it's unedited, um, feel free to opt out of any question if we get to a point where it's just sticky or you'd rather not go there. Um, Sure. Cool. Well, hey, um, as perfect strangers, total strangers, we have a mutual Total strangers. Yeah. And she uh, mentioned that you'd be a good interview. So look, um, <laughs> in uh, in true Christian form, like if I'm, oh I'm in ministry and we uh-huh. find ourselves uh, at a coffee table together, I'm going to ask uh-huh. you about your Jesus story. So let's start oh, there and um, maybe give me a little context. Sure. Yeah. So my Jesus story is probably uh, different than a lot of folks. Jesus story. I grew up in Canada until I was 14 and then I moved to Mississippi. So that plays into this story. Uh, I have a British mom and a Canadian dad. And so I grew up in a culture that's very um, post-Christian. And so then I moved at 14, a very form- like formational age to a place that's like Hi, how are you? What church do you go to? So I, uh, my parents were both people of faith. They were both Christians, but I didn't, um, as a kid, feel this pressure to be um, particularly evangelical. Um, So I grew up with a little bit more of a like, my parents just wanted us to kind of come to all of our beliefs on our own, which is really great. and has been so helpful for me later on in years. And so I went to a Christian summer camp growing up and I went to a church growing up, but again, if I didn't want to go, I didn't have to go. Um, but I went to a Christian summer camp growing up and it was around about 13 or 14, right around those years when, um, within the United Church of Canada, we do something called a confirmation class. And I just had a, like a, Badass pastor. She was amazing. Didn't know that it was weird that she was a she. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I moved to America. Uh, but she uh, she shared, you know, like, look, after this point, after you go through this confirmation class, which is like, if you've been baptized as an infant, usually there's like a catechism or a confirmation after. Uh-huh. And so I uh, said, after this, it's up to you. Your faith is up to you. And if your parents uh, force you to go to church, then I'll have a word with them. And so it was like the first time as a kid where wait a minute, like I have a choice about anything, mm. right? Mm. And so finding out that I had a choice about this faith thing made me sort of start to take it seriously. So um, I think that in that process, I 
I started to sort of wonder like, what do I really believe? And I think that's kind of when my journey of faith sort of began in a way that wasn't just taking what my parents. And so that summer um, we moved and that was a difficult process moving to another country. But I, you know, I joked that I tried to become an American. Um, re- I just really wanted to be a good American. And so I like, you know, you bought a gun football. or yeah. no, <laughs> I was so afraid of guns. Um, still am. That's why I'm in California. I'm just kidding. Um, and I, I, part of that was like in that area was really kind of taking on this Christian identity. And so, you know, from the youth group I went to, um, my faith became kind of a defining thing about me, even though I was an athlete and all the sort of things, like it became a defining thing about me, but I never wanted to go into like ministry. And so did you, where, first of all, where are you? I just need to know where <laughs> you this. are. Yeah. Look, um, I am in an hour outside of Melbourne. So how I describe it to you, I grew up in Southern California, 30 something years of my life. Um, okay. and, and we're the orange County to Los Angeles equivalent. So we're about Got an it. hour, hour and a half out. Uh, and I'm a little bit more down by the coast. And so it's sort of kind of that equivalent that helps. Okay. Okay. And how the heck did you end up there from here? Yeah, sure. Look, um, it, it's, it's the Lord's hand. And I don't say that in a trite way because my wife and I, our desire was to come out here, make some money um, and chill out and sit on the beach. And we both ended up in ministry. So I had no plans, no intention <laughs> of that, but through just like, you know, a handful of things ticking along, it was very clear, very evident. God wanted us uh, in a different role and, and Australia was different to what we expected. So it's just such an interesting, like I, um, I, so I ended up going to grad school for theology, which is quite a journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went to Duke in North Carolina and I was actually an RA for the athletic dorm. And so I had one of are not supposed to be athletic dorms, by the way, but they had air conditioning. So a lot of the athletes ended up in those dorms. Um, and one of my players was a female basketball player from Australia and she was two years older than most freshmen at Duke. And so her and I actually became friends and she played for the Australian national team. And I would always go watch her games, which was super fun. Yeah. Um, she say a lot of weird things like biscuits and, and you couldn't kind of understand her, even though you're sharing a language. You know what? Here's <laughs> the thing is growing up with a Canadian and British so with a Canadian dad, British mom, um, a lot of the words made sense to me. There were a couple of things where I was like, you're who with the what? Um, but, totally. you know, so, yeah, I'm always fascinated by people who end up in places that they didn't grow up in. So that's why I had to ask. Yeah. So it's a little bit of my faith story. You yeah. know, I, I definitely in Mississippi, part of that was that I felt like I had to, you know, sort of fit into the culture. And I realized like, just how much of that really influenced, you know, I'll do a lot of work with deconstructed Christians and, um, you know, I myself probably fall in a weird category in that because I never had the, I didn't have the same toxic soup a lot of people grew up in, but I did have the same toxic soup. It was just later in life for me. And mm-hmm. um, because it's not family, it has a little bit of a different yeah. feel to it. But I think just the understanding of like, uh, just trying so hard to fit in. Uh, and so I would like, try to get saved all the time. Cause you know, that was a thing in Mississippi and, you know, college, I was part of the, whatever the altar call, you just put your hand up. Yeah. I was like, I guess, I don't know. It's a lot of emotionalism, <laughs> I guess. Uh, very fancy. And there's a lot of lights. Uh, yeah. So that's a little bit of my Jesus story. It's definitely been, you know, and the crazy thing is just the people that I have connected with through ministry. I'm actually leaving full-time ministry in a couple of months, which is insane. I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years. I have a master's of divinity from Duke. I've spoke all over the world and 
huge stages and it's been good and it's been painful and it's been, you know, interesting and weird. And, um, I don't understand why uh, I get to know the people that I know, but I do. And so I kind of see it as a divine invitation for me to kind of take steps out and try other things and all that kind of stuff. So, man, that's so good. Uh, you've given me just, uh, an absolute arsenal of questions to um, <laughs> ask out of that, but look, uh, I oh. want to put all the stuff on the side in terms of, um, toxic culture and all of that. Uh, cause that's where I want to go in the future. Um, but sure. for right now, look, um, I didn't grow up, uh, as a believer, my parents weren't believers. I have a pretty dysfunctional background and all of that, but look, regardless of that, um, I hear an ar archetypal story that says, my faith was my parents. Uh, I didn't grab hold of it till my teenage years or something like that. So experientially for you as like a young girl now, paint me a picture of what that looks like. Is it is it like the same thing where, you know, your mom tries to get you to eat this thing and you don't want to, but it's, it's kind of her gig? Or what is it, I guess, what were the seeds of faith as a young child before you kind of took hold and, and grabbed onto Christ? Yeah, you know, that's been the really fun thing for me to sort of process in the last couple of years is that uh, my parents' absolute curiosity is something that I inherited. So my mom is just, uh, gosh, she is just one of the brightest people I've ever met. Um, and she had studied religion uh, as part of a history degree before she became a nurse. And she just has this incredible mind around those things. And so she very much uh, was not I mean, they were never negative about us, like claiming into our faith. And we went to church. It was just never, it wasn't um, a forcible situation. It was sort of more of a, oh yeah, let's get curious about it together. And so my dad grew up, so my mom grew up Catholic and my dad grew up United Church of Canada, um, which is a more progressive branch of Christianity. But my dad is also, my father's a physician. He's an absolute intellectual as well. And so um, I think the only time I ever really shocked my parents, um, which is the opposite of a lot of my friends, is when I was in college, I brought home a Southern Baptist um, Republican and they were like, oh, oh yeah, we all make choices. You know, they tried really hard to like okay, understand. Sorry. I get that, but as an Australian audience here, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Like, just give me the, what is the inside joke on that? Yeah, one. so that is like most American, especially within the Christian uh, culture and I'll call it a bubble, uh, you know, the parents dream of like a guy who is uh, conservative, which is Republican in our in our um, culture currently. And also uh, Southern Baptist is our most conservative denomination that likes to pretend it's not a denomination. So a lot of our mega churches claim they don't have a denomination, but they once or twice a year attend <laughs> a, yeah. uh, a conference. And so they are actually paying members <laughs> of a denomination. But it's cute when they don't know that. I hear you. Oh my gosh. Sorry. It's so funny, but yes, I resonate with what you're saying. And um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so I think for me, I, oh, so growing up, it was never an expectation, which I think allowed me to play with it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. uh, and now it's really fun because both my parents, um, after I studied theology, they're, they're just, you know, they continue to read so many books and I'll be like, mom and dad, look at you read, like who reads those books when they don't mm. have to. Um, so they're just incredibly um, like intelligent and thoughtful. And my mom is a historian, like you would not believe. So she's like, oh, this is cute that people think this is a brand new thing. Um, so for us, we didn't go through the scandal of um, our faiths being so different. I did, I did kind of take a little conservative dip when I was in college and my parents were definitely like, 
oh, okay. Uh, and then I have since come out of that and said they're a little bit more like, uh, remember that? And I'm like, shut up. Um, <laughs> but again, I think there was just such a like drive to want to fit into the Christian culture. And it really is a culture, which is interesting because it is in Australia as well. And so actually there is uh, an Australian movement. If you study sociology and history, that's uh, very fascinating. That's we're all in the midst of. So there's a lot of Australian uh, pastors in this area it's mm-hmm. coming out of a similar background. There's a school mm-hmm. that a lot of folks come from, um, which is a wonderful and complex and colonialism and all that fun jazz and backwards mm-hmm. colonialism. And then it's just an interesting soup. Um, so yeah. it's an interesting we live in an interesting time within Christianity. No, no doubt. Absolutely. Look, um, maybe give me a little bit more on that. Like, what are you thinking, especially through 2020 and in 2021 and your leaving of ministry, your departure from ministry? I'm yeah. sure God's been doing a lot in your heart and mind. And you've been yeah. observing and you've been reflecting. Um, give me, what do you think? What do you think is going on? What do you think God's up to at the moment? And um, So I think in some ways God is up to what God has always been up to. And I think uh, the divine is we define and create. And uh, there's a wonderful uh, theologian, but she's also a historian um, passed away a couple of years ago, but Phyllis Tickle. And she talks a lot about the every 500 years, uh, there is a massive movement. So 500 years ago, we had uh, the reformation, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there is an interesting shift that is happening within uh Christian spaces. Uh, It's within Americanism. There's a really interesting uh, 1960s. There was, well, 1950s, really, there was a marriage between being a good citizen and being a good Christian. So, um, which is really interesting if you're a scholar of scripture, because it was the opposite, like to be a uh, good quote unquote Christian in the New Testament. Again, remember Jesus never was. was to be anti-state and to that would get you killed. Well, now there's this marriage that happens in the 1950s, uh, really great marketing, super interesting and fascinating to see. Um, I, I've loved sort of, sort of reading and hearing about the different, um, I mean, just a brilliant thing to do uh, because churches became almost like, uh, if you go to this church then you can meet this person, almost like um, being like a, a mason or something like that where you're connection business-wise right and so all these churches like oh do you go to that church in fact there's a church here in costa mesa the joke is everyone has at some point attended that church and i think probably you did and i did and our mutual friend is where we met um and i was a lead pastor at another church when i went there um and i think there's just this like uh connection and peace that happens between if we marry being a good american to being a good christian uh then we can decide what party and political party they that good christians are so then it becomes an unquestioning right like does this feel like uh the jesus thing well they say it's the jesus thing so i think it might be the jesus thing and so there's this really interesting shift that happens and oftentimes when you ask people a lot of questions about it um there's like a certain generation particularly baby boomers and slightly above who will say well this goes with this and that's never been the case in history before and a lot of people think that it has. And so you have to kind of be a student of history as well as sociology and religion to sort of see what the shift is and what's been happening. And so in some ways, I think the divine is just shaking it up and saying, yeah, no, thanks. Um, because it has become, um, I would say almost to biblical proportions, uh, gross. 
Uh, church has become an industry. People have been severely damaged. Um, there has been a lack of like, oh my gosh, people, the conferences I have had to go to, uh, to learn how to become a mega pastor. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And it's CEOism with uh, the religion, right. Or something. It's um, right. And it seems like a really great thing. And I don't know if you've chatted with folks who are Enneagram folks, but I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm like, oh yeah, I can do this. Uh, But at the same time, uh, my wing is two. So threes are your like performer and twos are your caregiver. And, and it just hits so many places where I just think this is not what I would call God's best. And, um, it's been a painful thing and I'm excited to see the church, that kind of church die. Um, because I think it's become a machine that doesn't care about people. And I only know that because my pews have been full for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years of people who have been absolutely damaged. We're talking some like it would be scandalous and shocking to some people who have been trying to build the church that I'm now caregiving for their former worship leaders who are like, I don't even know if God's real. Yeah. Um, and I used to sell a lot of albums. So there is a sense of like, when we marry our, our faith to the government, when we marry our faith to success, when we marry our faith, it's just, just it, it doesn't even make sense if you look like this poor guy who slept on his friend's couches and walked away with, around with 12 of his closest friends. Like it just doesn't work and it's not, it doesn't make sense, but we've created the American dream and then we knit it in. And then we went to a bunch of other countries and told people how this was a great idea. And the other countries were like, that seems shiny. And then that kind of has been a thing, you know, and I think about how many mission trips have, uh, even that I've gone on that caused more damage than good, where people just thought they should be fighting for the American ideal. And you're in the middle of a Eastern African country. And that is not at all what you should be fighting for. But I think we learn better and you do better and you are better uh, once you have those moments of critique. And I don't, you know, Father Richard Rohr always talks about like, what is what is it that you're putting into the world? So I'm not going to just sit and critique the current church without saying I want to be part of something that is holistic and healing and moving mm-hmm. towards what I would call the kingdom. Um, for me, it looks a lot different probably than it does for a lot of other folks. Uh that have kind of bought into the machine. And, and I think the machine is great for some people and it feels like a, a belonging in a community mm-hmm. and uh, they fight really hard for it. And then there comes a really hard moment where the, the machine doesn't match um, the experience that they're having. So, yeah, I think there's, there's so many things to say. Uh, well, look, I'm yeah. going to poke a little bit further because I, I sure. absolutely love the track that you're on and I think it's totally worthwhile. Um, look, I think it's easy for us to glamorize um, the early church, right? And it's easy oh, for don't. us to say, let's Mm-mm. be, hold on though, because you said Jesus is homeless guy that walks around with 12 dudes, right? And so we have this like romanticized version of what faith lived out could or should look like. It's just kind of John mm-hmm. the Baptist, I'm in the wilderness, I'm apart and devoid from, you know, like society. But right, we live in 2021 in a Western culture with culture embedded all around us. And mm-hmm. so in, in the midst of that, there's a wisdom call to say, right, what is kingdom, what is culture, and the overlap. And I'm hearing what you're saying is like, it sounds as though part of culture and part of the, you know, the practices have infiltrated the church and, and mm-hmm. that's becoming the toxic bit. So where 
is a healthy stance? Where does healing, like, you know, what you're talking about and what you're on about, where are those things? Where do you want to place your time and energy? Whether, yeah. you know, regardless of if you don't have a vision for what the church needs to be doing yourself personally, how do you want to invest in that? What does that look like? You know, for me, it's like the, um, you know, this idea of like putting in and good and light and love and where is that and what does that look like? And that's not um, just saccharine sentimentalism, right? Um, so for me, it's like, where are people finding freedom and wholeness and health? And uh, I think there's a deep knowing that we've been taught to ignore, particularly marginalized folk. Um, and so how do we start to reclaim um, you know, the church that I currently serve that I just adore. I'm not leaving because I don't, oh, the church I serve, I adore it. Um, five years ago, we had 27 elderly people and I was appointed here to a hundred year old church. So you church in Costa Mesa and asked to uh, revitalize it. And we're um, now a very diverse, which our area is, is not as diverse within Christianity. It's a very diverse area, but the diversity within the church is usually um, <laughs> tokenism. So it's really fun to like be an actually diverse community. So LGBTQIA, very racially diverse. And that has all been incredible and wonderful and beautiful. And I, again, it's one of those things where you stand and you look and you say, I don't even I don't even know how we got here, but my God, I'm so glad we're here. And we sat down a couple of years ago to write, like, like, what are we about? Like when people are like, what is that church about? We didn't want to be like, well, we're not that church. Um, and we didn't want to say just like, Hey, just like <laughs> FYI, um, you know, you can be LGBTQI and come here. Cause I just, that's not really a, as an identity. Yes. But what does it mean um, beyond that. And so we decided, we sat down for a long time and what we really decided is that we are a church that wants to just remind people who they already are. Um, and so you are already loved by God is our like thing that we say, you're already loved by God and you're, art, you're invited into healthy and whole relationships. And I think that's just sort of this idea of, that seems so ridiculous and so radical, but the number of times we've I've had people fight back on that. Uh, you know, you're already loved by God. They're like, what about the fallen nature? I'm like, oh, that's super cool. So you're talking about original sin. Great. Let's talk about where that originated from. Uh, so there's several scriptures that talk about original sin. There's several scriptures that talk about not original sin. So who landed on it? We'll talk about, you know, it's sort of this, this thing that I think so often we don't do is we don't, we don't question this idea that we're just crap. And then all we can do is work really hard for a God who's not really sure that we're that great. And then Jesus shows up and goes, Hey, like, I'm going to let them in like a bouncer, like, Hey, they're not that bad. If I stand in front of them, you can't look at them. Um, which is kind of the message I was given in so many churches was that we are so hideous and awful that God can't look at us. So Jesus stands in the way and then God only stands Jesus sees Jesus. And so how we were created is kind of gross and awful and un worthy of God's eyes. And it's like, then why were we made? And why does all this scripture talk about a God that delights in us and is proud of us? Like, where, where does that go? Well, that doesn't like fill the pews, nor does it make people want to give you a lot of money so that you'll like continue to give the message. And then people fall in love with this thing. Like it's some sort of, um, by the way, you get me at the end of the day. So I have a lot of thoughts, uh, but it, <laughs> almost like this Stockholm syndrome, like, God, you've been so good to me because clearly I'm crap instead of what would it be like a starting place for me to go, wow, God, you delight in who I am and I don't know who I am. 
So what would it look like for me to just start to really get into like a deep knowing of who I am? And then this idea of that, maybe that's good enough. And, and from marketing, you know, uh, you said you moved there. What did you move there to work in if it wasn't ministry, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, sure. Uh, look, I was in the apparel industry. So in, in perfect Orange County uh, form, I was yes. you know, in that machine and, and swept up away in that. So I just saw dollar signs. I was going to come right. out here, do my own T-shirt company and, you know, and, and drift into that world. So. so what do they tell us in the business world is that we're meant to tell people what's wrong with them and then why we can fix it. Mm. And what's sad is that I think the church took that thing. Like what is wrong with you and how can I uniquely fix that for you? Um, And so it's, it's a really interesting question to say, what if I'm already loved? How does my life and how do I treat people differently if I just start from a base point? And so we look at even like parenting and all these studies, because I'm a huge nerd. So I have a, my undergrad was in biology and psychology. And so I looked at all these studies one time when I was working on a sermon and I realized how much they have been able to prove that kids at a base level that believe they're good and loved, how mentally they're actually much better. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not fighting for attention. They're not vying for. And so oftentimes, especially within the American culture, and I'm not sure if it's the same in Australian culture, we've been taught like don't make kids because then they'll be selfish. But what they're finding actually is kids who who have this deep sense of um, self-knowledge don't need to be selfish because they're in the same way that they don't think they're everything. Uh, they think that they're enough and, and they think that about other people around them. And so I think I look at what is the next years of work and stuff that I want to do and create. And I'm in the midst of all that. And I just have such a passion for helping people kind of return to that, which they already are and also spaces. So part of what I did at the church here was actually flip the community space. So there are now casters on the pews that they all face each other. So it's a hundred year old building that got a facelift, but it didn't get torn down and it doesn't look that much different, but it is just sort of a reminder that we are all just sort of returning back to what we already were. And if that's who God has us to be, then it's actually something to be delighted in instead of like, I just want to avoid being that crap person that I am at my base level. And and that's, I think, language that we learned for many of us in church. Like, you know, people at the base of themselves are fallen and horrible and hideous. Um, but that if you follow the theology through that, what does that say about the creator God? Like he just made a bunch of butts <laughs> like around the world, just being buttholes. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm so for that sister. Like, look, in my small kind of um, analogy of that similar thing, I was having a conversation with a friend a little while ago and I'm like, how do you describe yourself? Are you sinner or saint? You know, what do you resonate with more in in terms of like uh, where you, where, how you position that and how you'd answer that question. And he said sinner and, you know, we come from a reform kind of crew culture and all of that. Right. And I'm like, you know what, what's beautiful is like, um, I'm coming out of that a little bit, I believe. And I resonate with saint more. And it's not for the things that I understand about my brokenness, because I still have brokenness. But if I posture and I believe that God exactly didn't create a butt, but he created Mm -hmm. something that he loves and adores, um, it does something for me and it changes my understanding and it changes the way in which I relate to my father at that point. And and I've just loved that. There's a handful of people that I believe are going after that um, really hard in this current climate and current space to look at the creation story again, the origin story, 
and help us to understand that we're the Imago Dei, you know, and that we are delighted in and, and we're loved. And what does it mean? If it means that I'm the Imago Dei, then it means you're the Imago Dei. Yeah. And how we also have to understand that part of the soup that we're swimming in is individualism that, uh, you know, that you said the people really, they do, they're like, man, I'm just, I'm just going to be the original church or whatever it might be. And you're like, actually, like, I don't ever remember Jesus ever saying anything other than like, Hey, you have heard it said, but I say there's this, there's this movement forward. And so, you know, there's a, a church movement here and um, it's actually a denomination, the UCC. So I'm a UMC pastor. I'm an elder in the United Methodist church. Um, but the United church of Christ has a saying that says God is not done speaking. Um, and I think that is so helpful because it's like, we feel like, like the Bible shut and then it was like, okay, we're done. And I feel like even Jesus would spend times being like the scripture is this. Yes, yes, yes. But what is the movement? What's happening? And I, I think we have so often decided that we should be living in like middle, like that middle Eastern culture in that time. And that's just ridiculous. And yet, and yet that's what people are weighing their lives against. And, um, and I think it's important for people to understand that any theology is out of the head of a human and it is us just doing our best to try to understand a God that is really hard to understand and a world that's really hard to understand. And anyone who tells you they've got it, I can't follow and I, and I won't. Yeah, um, just be careful. Right. I always say that right. same disclaimer, people that, you know, have every answer for everything and it's watertight. That's scary. People who have good yeah. questions. No, I'll, I'll follow you till the end, which I yeah. think is like a Jesus thing because Jesus like, yeah. can you imagine actually hanging out with Jesus? That would have been the most annoying thing on earth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just imagine just like, Oh, so what do you want for lunch? What do you think I want for lunch? I, I don't know. Like I just want to eat and I'm really confused why we're having this conversation, you know? And I think that's the, the key to like all of this is having good questions and then not deciding that, you know, um, and that's scary for people, right? We love, we like this idea of black and white, as long as it's our black and white, as long as it's what we're willing to say is the, oh yeah, this is, this is the answer. Now this is the answer. And I think it's fascinating how many people have had, this is the answer. And then, you know, 20 years later, come back and say, this is the answer. Some totally. of it is this giftedness. I'll tell you, um, the giftedness I've, I've received in being parts of communities where there are people of, um, when I say diversity, I don't want just diversity in skin tone or sexuality or gender. I also want diversity in age because I need to hear, and, and you'll understand this more maybe than some of the folks in Australia, but we, you know, you lived in a culture, particularly in the fashion industry, particularly in the acting world, which was a little bit my world for a while, particularly in this environment, in uh, the area that we live in, in Orange County, where everyone should be 25 years old forever. And so when we get to that, we have this dread that we experience when we are not that. And I need someone who is 80 years old to tell me that you're going to change your mind seven times and it's going to be great. And to remind me, like, you're going to get, I'm telling you, the 40s are the best year. Oh, 50s were my favorite. Oh, when I was 60, that is when I really started to figure things out. Because I think sometimes whatever age you're sitting in, you have this, like, fear that like it's it's not right or it's not enough or I'm not doing it well and and you know this because you worked in the industry like that's what commercials are here to 
explain to you is why you're not doing great. Um, and maybe if you just had this pair of pants though, then, then you might be doing great. Um, and I think we've, which we've is gotten true. To, that's, that's right. Fact. Yeah, no. I'm yeah, that kidding. is facts. It depends on like what brand they are, and yeah, not yeah, Crocs, yeah. guys. Not Crocs. I just read an article that Crocs have become the ironic, like, cool thing, and I'm like, they aren't though. They aren't. Um, but okay. Uh, and now, like, half your audience hates me. Um, I know I'm snobby about weird things, uh, but I think there's this like this beauty that I've gotten to experience with being in communities of people who are all different ages. And I question a lot of the churches that are like the hip, cool thing, because everyone's all the same age. Um, and I think there's a maturity, there's a maturation that comes. There is, an, like I said, invitation uh, to not think I've got all the answers when I'm hanging out with older people who don't have all the answers either. But it takes a mutual release of the need to be right, which doesn't always happen in Christian culture, that's for sure. Yeah, that's so good. Hey, I have a... Um... I have a, a rubber hits the road kind of question for you because sure. I'd love to know in your church community, like I think it is our mission and I believe that the next 10 to 20 years, um, we're going to figure out, the church is going to have to figure out this LGBTI conversation together, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of people with a lot of different decisions and yeah. opinions and everything. Sure. And where I'm currently at, like I, I interviewed a um, professing bisexual minister the other day and I was very enlightened and I loved speaking with her. And one of the things, the rubber hit the road question that I want to ask about your community sure. is what does it look like to exercise a place of belonging? Mm -hmm. And then where does that speak into or play into, I guess, a framework of sexuality as it relates to a certain people group that identify a certain way? So what I mean by that, like, this is a very probably uh, black and white, you know, uh, question, but it's like, look, I can welcome in my LGTBI brother or sister into the kingdom. And then how far do I take that as I disciple them? Do I, am I complicit in certain engagement in their involvement? What are my um, kind of core beliefs around sexuality? And yeah. then and where does that go? Like, I want to figure out, okay, we've gotten someone in the door. Now what, and how is your community and yourself creating spaces, learning, what does that look yeah. like for you? Yeah. So even like the language for us is a little different. So like, I don't say I disciple people. Uh, we're in this mutual journey together. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who has spent a lot of time in the academic world around Christianity and I am a quote unquote professional Christian, mm -hmm. but I have so much to learn. Um, and mm -hmm. I, you know, we talk about getting them through the door. Well, our, <laughs> the joke at our place is like, are you guys um, welcoming to gay people. And I'm like, I don't know, the people who greeted you at the door are a lesbian couple who've been married for like 30 years. So you should ask mm -hmm. them. Um, the truth is it depends on, it's so hard because we have to be honest about the fact that there's two different ways to look at it. For me, I don't think, uh, I don't think that uh, LGBTQIA is in any way an abomination except that I mean it in the real world of the word abomination, which by the way, the word abomination simply means different than, in fact, in original Hebrew abomination has no judgment call. So when I say something is an abomination, I mean, this is outside of the norm. And when I look at scripture and it talks about sexuality, um, it is talking, whenever it talks about um, cases where 
homosexuality where the like the clobber versus that people are like but this first corinthians always 6 a, right 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 those still will not always in yep go ahead right it's always about power it's always about where in culture someone older was taking advantage of someone younger someone that means always about power always it's never about sexuality and we have to understand that in that culture and time um marriage <laughs> you want biblical marriage i don't want to have someone who has several wives like no thank you um there is no form of biblical marriage in fact biblical marriage in some ways when we start hearing about the way Jesus is talking about it, it's about protecting a woman who once they were divorced were left on the streets and had no way of caring for them. Again, it's about power. Let's talk about the thing behind the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think for me to come into a culture and say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's best for you. I happen to be a cisgender heterosexual white woman. Like there is so much power and privilege that I don't even know that I have, even though I might be an immigrant, like I'm a cute immigrant, I'm Canadian. People are like, is that even an immigrant? Um, so, you know, there is this sense of, yes, I've experienced what it, what it could look like to be outside of a culture and all that sort of stuff. But I have to, at some point, allow myself to hear that I might not know at all and that I have you know, had this privilege of being able to walk with folks from the community. Mm -hmm. Now, again, what does that look like for us? Mm -hmm. It looks like us saying sexuality for us isn't the question. My question for you is how are you treating your partner? Mm -hmm. That's my question for you. And why am I, why is that my question for you? Because when we talk about this idea of power dynamic, are we caregiving for the person that God has provided for us, whatever that might look like? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's a better question than like, like I say, there is this couple who um, I just adore at our church and they have been married for 36 years. I want to say uh, women who are literally the best humans you have ever met. Mm. And I send straight couples to them, gay couples to them, because mm. the way that they, they're both social workers, the way that they care, give for each other, the way that they care, give for their families. Mm. I'm sorry. If you don't allow yourself to experience the Holy Spirit saying, maybe you don't know all that it, that is, we also have to remember uh, <laughs> there is so much in culture, like all this idea of like culture that we want to just like act like isn't surrounding the way that scripture was written down. So all of it kind of gets back to the way that you look at scripture and what scripture, what place you hold it in. And I don't want to say value because I think so often people say, well, I just hold scripture higher than you do. And I'm like, I don't really cool. Like if we're mm -hmm. in a weird, that's a weird competition. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> Cause if I'm honest, like one time I accidentally, this is a true, like, <laughs> please don't hate me people. <laughs> um, I was at a, I was doing an event with um, the Muslim center here in Orange County who are just incredible. And I left my Bible on the floor and I came back to three teenagers staring. They're like, that's the Holy word. It can't be on the floor. And I thought, oh my gosh, and don't look inside it. Cause I've written all over it. And that would just be it. So talk about holding scripture at a higher level. My Islamic brothers and sisters hold my scripture at a higher level than I did. Cause I, I didn't want to tell them like, I have six copies in the back of my car. Um, you know, and some of them are like cute colors. But I think there is this essence and we can't throw it out of how do we view scripture? What does scripture mean? And do, do I have to throw it out if I start using different metrics to understand it? 
You know, and it's a journey. And I think um, one of the reasons that I am a United Methodist clergy member is something I call this the sexiest theology you'll ever hear about. Have you ever heard of the quadrilateral? I think so, but for the sake of viewership and listening, yeah, just guys, go get on. ready yeah. to just have your minds blown by this <laughs> sure. nerdy. This is just don't go out with me on a Saturday night. Um, is I'm loving scripture, it. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, it's just nerd scripture, tradition, region, and experience. And so the idea is, and there's some folks who there's like a if you read Father Roar, who's super popular right now, who is a wonderful human and has been such a great mentor in my life. But he has a table with three legs. But um, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, and the idea being that like if we want to talk about the divine we have to use all four mm -hmm. so we have to pay attention to our experience because the holy spirit moves if if we want to use scripture to be the measure of all of it like reason don't throw reason out you know um and tradition has this beautiful thing like i just <laughs> one of my favorite things, um, which is like a crappy side of me, but when people be like, have you read whatever? And I'm like, yeah, guys, like those aren't brand new ideas. And they probably, mm. they would probably tell you they're not brand ideas. Like it's been around for a while, but people like keep thinking they're the ones who reinvented the wheel instead of like being just grateful. Like we come from this long line and what does it mean to be deeply rooted in something when we come from a culture that throws things out so easily? Um, so yeah, I think I want to be part of the revitalization of people and I, and I, and restoration and reformation and not in a, like, I'm going to have a revival because I'm not asking you to become anything. I just want you to return to who you already were. And if that means for you, the divine is something you can't throw into that mix. Great. Like there are so many people who go to my church who are like, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm like, awesome. If it's Tuesday, neither am I, but like, let's do community together and let's talk about what, what is it? Why is the Jesus story something that you still, you, you don't want to have it, but you feel compelled to be here all the time. So what do you feel like that's about? Because I think, again, I don't think I ever have the right answers, but I do think I have great questions. And I think I learned that from Jesus. Um, and even when I don't love Jesus's people so much, I can't stop loving that like amazing question asker who refused to just sort of hear what, you know, refused to just understand himself as outside of the box that people wanted. And so I think that's, you know, how I ended up being a little bit of a rebel, which yeah, is I funny. Love that. I love that rant. <laughs> that's a solid rant. I love it. Um, I'm curious, where do you, where do you put in the framework of the creation story, man and woman? How do you make sense of that? Um, what do you think as it relates Great. to marriage? Oh Bye. yeah. Bring me back to that one now. Yeah. So uh, disclaimer, I'm not married and I'm way over the age that most folks are. Uh, and not because I don't believe in marriage. I do. Um, I've seen them. Uh, I believe in them. Uh, I just, I just haven't gotten married probably because sure. I was a woman who led a church, which is a little weird for a lot of humans. Um, put that on your Tinder profile. Um, but I think the creation story for me I think is true without being true. I have to admit to you, I am not a creationist. Um, I have a degree in biology. My father's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. I'm super fascinated with um, science and all that sort of stuff. Now, do I still think it's a important, true story and that it tells the story of a loving God? Absolutely. Do I think it's been used as a weapon? Absolutely. Um, and I think 
we have to understand that the Bible's full of poetry as well. And that the original intention of a lot of what was written, it wasn't written to be an instruction book. And that's that I have to, the reason I use that language is when I was in Mississippi, they would say it's basic instructions before leaving earth. And so like, I honestly thought, okay, I need to be able to find every answer for every question that I would have in the early 2000s in this book that like was not written for that. Um, and I think that's important to understand the medium. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think for me, as I look at man and woman, and, and again, guys, we've got two different creation stories in one book. When you look at the original language, and we've done a lot of farting around and pastors do a lot of trying to explain how they're actually the same, but no, they like, they've got some pretty significant differences. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what do we do with that other than to understand it as people trying to understand that which is beyond understanding. It doesn't make it any less powerful or any less true. And by true, I mean, um, full of honest essence, but I think we get caught up in the, in the form instead of the message of what it is. Right. Um, again, so for yeah. you, there, there's the kind of, I want to grill you on that. So like I, oh. I'm, I'm yes and amen to look where we're science and there's an overlap in creation and all that. I'm, I'm happy to be flexible, but I guess like to me, I believe that Genesis one and two are helping us to understand a posture mm -hmm. of man and woman. And, and just what does that mean for us to carry forward? Right. Like the, the yeah. kind of universal wisdom in Genesis one and two. And so I guess like, I don't, Again, so what I, do you do about the kids who weren't born a man or a woman, which is a thing like hermaphrodite, which is a horrible old word and isn't the true statement, guys, it's intersexed anyway. Uh, but there is this like, what do I do with that? Does that mean God doesn't know what God's doing? Or does it mean that potentially we are reading something that people wrote to understand what was happening around them in a way that was beautiful and powerful and inspired, but maybe not word for word. Mm -hmm. um, and the posture of men to women. Again, you have to understand, I've heard Genesis used as an absolute weapon. Um, and it's, it's usually the drunk theology bro who like took one course in like Bible college and now wants to talk to me about like Calvinism. And I'm like, you know, I just would love to have a beer and not hear about this, bro, but great. Mm. Go ahead and tell me why. Um, and I feel like there is this sense of like, no man and woman and women were the reason we fell. And now women have to have painful childbirth and all this stuff. And I just think, wow, wow. You think a lot less of God that this, that these defined things would uh, kind of be who God is. And that just like, man, like I would, I'm bummed for you that that's where you're at with this whole story. And like this poem about the beauty of like when people don't quite get it right. And we're ashamed of our nakedness and God's like, no, 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 that's not it. Um, I think there's this, I don't know, almost, I don't know what the word I'm trying to use, but this this sort of raising of the story, almost like it becomes an icon and, and it becomes almost like ideology. Like I, that's what it's supposed to look like. And I'm supposed to, you know, we talk about, <laughs> I had to do go off on my uh, Instagram yesterday and I usually delete it. I usually delete people's comments, but I had a couple books that some friends had written about um, feminism in the church. And again, for me, it's like a, 
I'm so glad that these wonderful women are like opening their eyes to this thing, but it's a conversation like I grew up in the soup of that. So for me, it's not like this radical idea, but I love that it is for them. I love that it is for them. And so I'm going to support them and love them and cheer for them. And yes, absolutely. Yes. And um, also like the rest of the world already had this conversation friends, but I, I had this just troll come out from under the bridge and he's like, this is what's wrong with the church. You know, women are losing their femininity. And I was like, whoa, bro, like, what is, how do you define feminine? And then it makes me sad because what often happens is it means there's um, masculinity has to look a certain way. And then when people don't fit in to that masculine ideal, then are they somehow failing or, and I just think we've done a, a real disservice in using the story of Genesis to explain why men need to go out and make a lot of money and women need to make sure that the home is taken care of. And it's just a very bizarre read of it if you're again, but it all goes back to how you look at scripture. And um, I don't see it as a instruction book. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. Like I, in terms of instruction book, but I guess then my like follow-up question would be, how do you acknowledge that the Holy Spirit wants to continue to um, shape us and grow us in love and, and a community, right? As we evolve and as we learn, mm -hmm. like truth continues to evolve and adapt. And, yes. and I'm, I'm with that. Um, where I guess is your where's your backbone? Where's your lattice as it relates to the scriptures and how you view God's, um, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I'm like, yeah. I can yes and amen. Um, you know, look at one point in time you were in, if you were, if you had a tip of your penis cut off, you know what I mean? Like right. we're not right. in anymore by that. That's not the measure. That's not the standard. So look in a hundred years, 200 years are in this now might have evolved. And I'm, I'm cool with that. But I guess my question to you is as you're deconstructing, as you're thinking through this, where's your kind of baseline look? I fall back on this and I believe that I got to teach this or I got to stand for this or I got to, you know, is that question making sense as I'm- Yeah, as I'm totally. It? I think yeah. about my um, my dear friend, uh, Michelle, who I, I love watching her parent. She has um, two little one, two girls and a little boy. Uh, the little boy is uh, adopted and the story is just beautiful and wonderful and whatever. Um, but the thing I love is that when Michelle is parenting her children and they do something that is going to be harmful to themselves um, and not, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because I think sometimes harmful to yourself, people are like, because it leads to this, you know, so sin is, I get to decide what your sin is anyway. So when her kids are doing things that um, are dangerous or are, are mean. Uh, she's a big one on like, don't be mean. She will say, um, oh man, you're just not acting like yourself. Breaks my heart. Cause like, that's not how our family is. What, what are, what does our family believe in? And the kids know our family believes in compassion and love and empathy. And she's like, right. Does this feel like that fits into that? And the kid will be like, no. And she's like, I'm not trying to embarrass you or shame you. I'm just wondering like, what would be a different option? And it invites the kid to like, read. now th sometimes her kids are absolute crap heads and she just has to be like, all right, you know, today I'm acting outside of who I want to be. But I think it has helped me see God in a different way. I think I used to see that like 
well, God does these things to make sure we're not harming ourselves by leading, you know, like the, what's the thing people always like to say, lifestyles that aren't helpful. I look at it again, as I've studied scripture for now professionally for 16 years. And before that um, was blessed to be in a, in a grad school that did that. So it's been almost 20 years of scholarship around this stuff is I look at it as when I think about what am I teaching is I'm always asking people to think about their power dynamics. I'm always asking them to think about what does it look like when we say that Jesus talked a lot about the widow, the poor, what does that actually mean? So often we've done mission work at people instead of with people. So often we have, um, acted like we have the answer instead of like we are brought into this beautiful story that has been going going on for thousands and for me I say thousands thousand years those of you are creationism thought whatever um I'm not gonna die on that hill but I feel like there is this again the thing I can't stop telling people is that they're already loved by God and because of that like I don't have to try to control you and I think in, a, in our deep knowing, we know what is bringing goodness and light into the world. Um, I have had the number of people, I have this beautiful patio here, the number of people who I've had sitting out there crying because they say, I'm starting to understand that love is so much bigger than I thought it was. And I have been so afraid that if I believe that nothing, there would be no rules anymore because all I've ever known is how to live by rules. And now the only rule that I have is like, is this bringing good? Is this loving? And is this about me understanding? Like I've never, and I feel so much love for everybody around me, like a crazy human. And I don't know what to do because I was always taught the answer is shame. <laughs> And that God cares more about whether or not I do the quote unquote right thing. And to understand that like, that might not be like, God isn't this like referee. Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. And that, you know, God is even in these gray moments is overwhelming. And I think people step in to this, like, there are no rules moment. And I think there are rules and I think we know them. Um, at a deep level, if we are healthy emotionally and mentally stable, there are obviously people who um, that, and I think we can think it's like, does this hurt other people? Mm. Um, I remember listening to a, a talk one time with a theologian who's talking about like, Americans are so fascinated about what we do, other people do in their bedrooms. That has nothing to do with me. If it's not harming someone else, that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, and yet I will, I will make a sign. I will tell you why that's not a good idea. Like it's just this whole, and like, even like, okay, great. But like, look at the stats, you know, I'll never forget Anderson Cooper, who is a, a newscaster here in the States. And he's a, a gay man married, has, um, children. He's beautiful. Um, he was talking about how there, a study came out that adoptive families that are same gendered, um, their kids there was like a, one of the longest studies that looked at the mental health of the kids who were raised by same-sex parents. And they discovered that they're more mentally healthy <laughs> than kids who are raised in um, heterosexual relationships. And he like, you know, he's a very serious journalist, but he took off his glasses and he goes, heterosexual people, I want you to know, I'm going to continue for you to, to fight for your right to be able to adopt children, you know, 
the joke being like people fight so hard for kids not to grow up in um, same gendered situations where I'm like, are they being loved and cared for? Like, what is God's best? And I think God's best for us is what's bringing health and whole wholeness and healing into the world. You know, and I think we've so often decided that we know what that is. And as I sit in um, prayer and meditation, I feel closer to God when I'm willing to say, I don't know what that is, God. Can you show me today? Every day, because every day, I'm going to decide, I think I know what's best for people. And every day you're going to have to remind me that's cute. Um, so yeah, I think there are rules. What's my backbone today? I can tell you, it's definitely like, are you harming other people? Cause there's a lot of churches that harmed a lot of people during the time of COVID. Cause they thought they knew what was God's best for people. Um, and I think we are going to be held accountable for how we cared about other people. Um, so yeah, that's my little rant. I love it. So, you know, it's a great, um, the spirit is at work um, because as you're talking, like it's reminding me of the greater love that we're called to, right? Mm-hmm. So can, and, and I think that's a journey that you've been on. And I think that's something you're bringing through to me right now and to the listeners. It's like, there's a softening, right? And there's um, that that eternal softening that we're meant to kind of embrace and love and and think deeply. Look, as we close our time together, um, love to just know you said four months from now, um, you know, you might be somewhere else or you will be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, what's on the horizon? Are you able to speak about the horizon? Your, sure. Yeah. Your totally. Goals. Um, just yeah. you know, and then also Spruik, uh, whatever it is. Sorry, Spruik is uh, plug uh, in this Got country. It. So go ahead and plug um, anything you'd like. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me like as a total stranger. Um, I figured Sarah had told you about me. I always fascinate people that that's not a really arrogant. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> I think because, you know, it's, it's very weird to have a female lead pastor of a, you know, pretty not huge church, but a church with some significance. Um, I think people are always like, what the, um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for you to like, take a chance on someone you didn't know. So I am leaving full-time ministry after loving it. Uh, so flipping a new church, uh, so creating a new church and having a new church start after, you know, for five years, I've been doing this work and I have absolutely adored it, but it has taken all of me. And so, um, I am feeling this divine invitation to step into the unknown. Um, I've spoken at events, uh, for a long, long time and I've written a lot and, um, I'm want to, I'm going to continue doing that. Um, so I have this podcast called making spaces. Um, I will tell you if you are offended by cussing my co-host, loves to cuss. Um, and then I'm also, uh, part of a podcast called your favorite ants, um, with someone who you should have on the show called Kevin Garcia. If you want to meet a non-binary pastor who is hysterical and will make you want to pee imagine Jonathan Van Ness, but like with a lot of Bible degrees. Um, and I, I, so I'll be continuing to do that. So that's making spaces in your favorite ants. Um, Can you making just give, space, a, give it, yeah, the, the one minute synopsis of what that is. Yeah, what are, so what Making Spaces yep. is a podcast where we talk to people who are making space, both literally and figuratively. So I have a passion for design. Um, I think design is actually what can bring people together in a space. Uh, I think oftentimes we don't pay attention to what's happening around us um, and what aesthetics are saying to us. So church buildings, I think a lot of times have not thought through um, what are we saying. And so... Um, we bring on designers, but we also bring on people who are like thought 
thought experts, if you will, um, who are designing space for folks um, who maybe thought they didn't have a space before. So we've had, like this week, we had Rudy Rasmus, who is uh, the Reverend Dr. Rudy Rasmus. Everyone should check him out. He's Beyonce's pastor, but he's been a friend of mine for years. He is um, literally making homes for folks who are um, getting out of foster care and aging out of foster care. And so making literal space for people. So that's making spaces. Your favorite ants is ridiculousness. It is, um, and both of these shows are on the Irreverent Media Podcast group, um, which is exvangelical. If you guys know exvangelical, Dirty Rotten Church Kids, there's us. There's a new one that's coming out in a week called uh, Go Home Bible You're Drunk, um, which is two pastors, ex-pastors who talk about all the scripture that you're like, what? Because nobody preaches on them. Um, and uh, so your favorite ants is a question and answer. We call it question and opinion. Uh, people call in with all kinds of questions. Uh, Kevin's specialty is really around um, coaching folks through the LGBTQIA conversation, as well as just, we talk about everything. People just call us in about the most interesting and ridiculous things. Sometimes we're talking about like scriptural interpretation and sometimes it's skincare. So you just never know. Um, so that's a fun one. So the idea being, they're the conversations you'd have with your favorite aunts, but you'd never want to talk to your parents about. That's us. Got it. Uh, and then like random aunts will show up because we do it <laughs> online. So like Dr. Jackie Lewis, she showed up one day and was like, can I be on your show? And so we just like bar brought her on screen. And so we've got some friends that are going to be. Um, so that's that. Um, and I will be spending July and August redoing my 1973 Airstream um, that was purchased. Uh, I have had a dream of having an Airstream for a really long time. Uh, a friend of mine, Rachel Held Evans, who was an author, passed away a couple of years ago. And her husband, who became a friend of mine through our grief, uh, knew that this was a dream of mine. And so for my 40th birthday, um, he found one that was really cheap in his area and let me buy it from him for cost, at cost. So I was able to drive across the country during COVID and pick up Gidget she is a mess. She's terrible. She's the worst Airstream you've ever seen. And I love her so much. And so July and August and September, I'll be working on that to turn it into a podcast studio on wheels and to be able to do some consulting with churches, helping them think through their spaces, both physically and also like, what is your, like, how are you welcoming people? Is it what does that look like? And how can we build more inclusive spaces? Because I think you're right. You're absolutely right after everything's opened up again, church is going to have to look a lot different. And those that aren't willing to are just going to be singing to the choir that they have right now. And uh, it's just going to be playing more and more into the um, lie that we are so different from each other. Like there's this side and this side, and I just don't think that's God's best for us on both sides. And so that's why making spaces is kind of my shtick and what I'll be doing hopefully for the next little while start. I formed an LLC. I didn't know what that was. That's a limited liability corporation. I think those were what the letters are. I don't know. That's awesome. Man, Thanks that's for so letting cool. me talk to so him. I'm not, I'm a podcast host and I never, I mean, I'm a pastor. <laughs> too. I never talk but this much. It's great. It's, it's very worthwhile. I, I've loved having your voice and I've loved having the spirit work through you in the last hour. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Look, oh my gosh. Look, the, the primary purpose around season two is um, I'm hopeful that this is speaking to um, a church culture here in Australia that primarily um, we go, we are a part of a reformed culture, right? So mm. this 
is a great opportunity to broaden our horizons, to think deeply, to expand our wisdom knowledge, have more uh, engaging conversations um, with folks that don't always look and act and sound and talk like us. Oh my I, gosh, yeah, I know. Even though we are um, in, in, under the umbrella of Christ and it's beautiful, um, we get to you know chop, chew and chop the fat and, and work through some of that together. So I'm thankful for that, sister. Me too. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. All right. Best to you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend. We want others to uh, embrace this unscripted life, this uh, life apart from promotion or perfection, but honesty and purity and love. So until we catch up again, let's consider how we may spur each other on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging each other as we see the day approaching. Love you guys. Peace.